Trash It Out, a show where we listen to a heavy metal album and then argue about it. I'm Anthony Johnston. And I'm Brian Latendry, and today we are discussing number 21 on Rolling Stone's greatest hair metal albums of all time, Dawkins' 1985 classic, Under Lock and Key. Is that a real list? It is a real list. Yeah, I can. I'll, I'll dig up the link to it and I'll and I'll put it in the show. Uh, they might even have two albums on there because I think Back for the Attack is on there too. Um, right. But it, but you know what? We should talk about that after because I I think hair metal album unfair maybe. But we'll talk about that as we uh, sort of. I think it's probably not unfair to classify this as glam metal. Hair metal. Uh, I mean, let's be honest. You know, it was more about the look of the band than the sound. Right. You know, sonic sonically, there wasn't really much difference between hair metal and glam metal anyway. I don't think, anyway. Um, yeah, I th- I, we should talk about, as we get into it, we can talk about sort of where this fits the paint-by-numbers sort of hair metal-ish, you know, formula and where it doesn't. Because I yeah. think there's a lot of places where it doesn't. And I think that's part of uh, sort of Dawkins' <laughs> uh, maligneness in the first place there. I, I feel like Do- <laughs> I feel like Dawkins is one of the most unjustly maligned bands of all time. But oh, okay. Yeah, okay. We, we will... We will talk about that as we get in there, but we have uh, we have all the fun stuff to talk about first. We do, we do. Okay, so first of all, da, 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 this is our fiftieth episode. Shut up! Seriously, I didn't even know mm. that. Yeah, yeah seriously. <laughs> Holy 50 crap! Episodes, I know it's crazy, isn't it? It um, is crazy. And I mean, obviously, you know, we're not as regular as some pod- you know, some podcasts reach fifty within a year or less than a year. Um, you know, it's taken us a while, but even so 50 episodes. Yeah. It's, uh, crazy to think about. That is crazy to think about. It, although I was at work the other day, uh, because I had gone to that Dio show recently, I was telling someone like, oh man, you know, Holy Diver is one of my favorite, you know, albums of all time. And if you listen to this episode of Thrash It Out, and I went back and pulled the link for the Dio episode and it was like October of 2015. Yep. <laughs> like in my head. We've been doing this that for like a year ago, and a half. Yeah, yeah like yeah. It, like it, totally. I'm like half the time. I'm like, yeah, this new podcast that Anthony and I started it like a couple years ago. No, <laughs> it's been like. I mean, I don't even want to go back to the very beginning, but it's it's been. I think if not going on four years, then like over four years now. Now that you've said that, I've got to look it up. I've got to. Isn't find that out. crazy? Okay, I'll vamp while you do that. So yes, but uh, <laughs> I had no idea that we were at 50 episodes. That's awesome. Um, obviously, because we you know, are on a little bit of a lengthier schedule that it it took us a while to get to 50. But I don't, I guess the cool thing about this show is like, I don't even think about what number we're at because I'm just so focused on like whatever the next album is that we're going to talk about. And, um, well, and also because we do the whole volumes thing. So, you know, we, you are, I mean, I don't know about you, but for me, you know, my mind is focused on, where we are in the volume for sure you know like when you and i were chatting um in our slack uh, recently talking about the sort of the schedule of the next few episodes and you were like holy crap i've only got like two more yeah, yeah, or right something i had this. to like yeah <laughs> because it's nebulous like my list for my ongoing list in general is just very nebulous and then my list for each volume like if there's a theme that i'm trying to stick to is also like if i ha- let's say i have 7 or 8 picks i probably have 12 or 15 albums that i'm like these could all fit in this yeah. particular theme and so oh, most same of here, the time for, yeah yeah for every, every sort of theme that i've done it's uh, yeah I, I could have picked another you know, 30 albums or something um so it was almost exactly four years ago as we record. That's uh, we're insane. Recording, we're recording this in early June. Um, 
uh, and the Metallica episode, you know, the Santanga episode was July 29th, 2015, so almost exactly four years. That is crazy. Well, happy four-year anniversary. Indeed, indeed. And which is actually a good segue into first, well, first of all, I will say we have two new patrons since our last episode, uh, Pablo Brazero and Patrick Sondel. So thank you to both of you. Welcome. Uh, We do love our supporters. And that is part of what I wanted to quickly mention. We had an email uh, from a listener just a few days ago, actually, uh, Martin Schroeder, basically saying, you guys should have more patrons than you do. It's not fair. You know, I can't believe that more people don't support your show. Um, And giving us some very kind you know, ideas of how we might be able to sort of boost our patron count and that sort of thing. Um, which, I mean, thank you, Martin. You know, we appreciate you writing in and we very much appreciate you putting that sort of thought into it. But that's not why we do the show. And we've said this right from the start. You know, Brian and I are fortunate enough that we don't need to make money from this show. Um, it's nice obviously, to be paid for what you do. And it's especially nice that we have enough patrons to cover all of the fixed costs of the show. You know, we have our, uh, you know, website hosting and podcast hosting and our domain, you know, registration. All of that is covered by the money we get from the show. And then we get a little bit extra on top. You know, it's enough to, as we've said before, you know, buy you a new microphone, that kind of thing. Um, Obviously, it would be great to have more, of course, but not at the cost of changing what the show is. Because then when, you know, we do the show because we love doing it. We love chatting to each other about music. It's fun to do. We love chatting with our listeners and all of that. But, you know, that's why we do the show. We don't do it to try and make loads of money. Um, And so... Yeah, like I say, of course we'd love more patrons, we'd love more supporters, we'd love more revenue from the show, but not at the cost of changing what the show is. Uh, And if that means that we only ever have, you know, 100 patrons or whatever, then so be it. You know, that's uh, we we can live with that because, like I say, we're not doing the show to try to make a living from it. Right, and we definitely don't want to be reading off uh ads on the air either uh, like I, yeah, all the podcasts no. <laughs> it's so funny when you listen to a lot of podcasts and i listen to a lot of podcasts like you can tell like which companies are really pressing on sponsorships right now because they oh, all have yeah, the same yeah. ads and then like it, it's all uh third love the bra company and like for him's you know men's performance type of thing like they, they're all the same right, ads and that there was I that spate of mattress companies a few years ago oh for and, sure and yeah. then there was like lynda.com which was the online yeah. training site yeah. and so yeah it's just so awesome to hear like i'm listening to a gaming podcast and they're trying to tell me why i should buy a mattress and it's like yep. yeah that's the kind of stuff that i don't ever want to do. And I'm so glad that we haven't had to do, because as you said, we have enough supporters where we can, uh, our overhead is taken care of. And really that allows us to not have to think about that and to be able to just focus on putting the show out. Um, the thing I appreciated about Martin's email is that he mentioned the Christian band deliverance, which is one of my favorites Christian bands of all time. Oh my God, dude, they're on my list (laughs) to do for this show. Yeah. Oh, so expect some deliverance in the future. <laughs> oh, they are go. the they are the slayer of Christian metal in my mind. Like, oh wow, right? Um, yeah, they have a vocalist who is a little bit Jeff Tate, but their their uh, man, their music is thrash, and so it's uh, especially their early stuff. They got away from <laughs> right. it, but yeah, um, 
you know, because but yeah, of course, I just I thought that was it was worth it was you yeah know, a coincidence that Martin's email came in, but I thought it was worth tying all that up with the whole four year fiftieth episode, uh, you know, anniversary woohoo go us and everything because yeah, you know, as we've said before, this is why we do the show because it's fun and we want people to listen to it. I mean, that's why we make everything free as well. You know, we could. Some people do, you know, we could do kind of special bonus episodes that only patrons get to listen to and stuff. And I'm not knocking people who do that at all, but that would for us go against the principle of the show, which is that we want everybody who is a metal fan to be able to listen, whether or not they can spare a dollar or not, you know, because we all know what it's like to be down in your uppers and, you know, frankly, not be able to spare a dollar. A hundred percent. And it, and it also changes the expectation of the show, right? So for these, yeah. the podcasts that are out there that do use Patreon really as, as their income and, and that is the driving model, like there is a constant, uh, expectation of how often episodes come out doing other series that spin off of that one and doing these things. And that, that's a model that is, requires a lot of time and effort when in reality, like this show for us is about, you see your friend at the local record store and you are hanging out for 45 minutes to an hour talking about the albums that you're listening to, what's coming out next month, getting excited about stuff like that is that's what that's the vibe that we're trying to cap. That's what it is for us. Like I just said to you before we started recording that um, I need this. Like This is my right. time to <laughs> this is my time to catch up with my buddy and talk about music. And so for me, it's it's a very um, it's a very therapeutic outlet mm-hmm. for me, oh. which I would never want to change the balance of that because it is such a positive thing for me. Absolutely. Although it's been a while since any of our episodes were as short as an hour. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> and and we're not helping by rambling on now. So no. let's move on. Uh, just still on the subject of patrons, um, our first Encore episode will be the one after next. If you remember, Encore is the new thing we do decided to do where patrons get to... Uh, nominate a bit like the listener choice uh, but what they do is get to nominate another album by a band we have already covered so the bonus episode from last volume was us doing metallica's ride the lightning because we'd already done some anger so we did rather you know because as a rule as part of the sort of regular episodes we try not to repeat bands because there are so many bands out there we figure let's you know let's not repeat ourselves but we do get a lot of requests from, you know, uh, from listeners saying, oh, you know, I wish you talked about this album instead. So, yes, once per volume, we're going to do an encore episode where we will take uh, another album nominated by one of you or several of you uh, out there for a band that we have already covered. So the poll for that will go live sometime shortly after this episode goes live. I will put it up on the patreon page i will start a thread and you can make your nominations in the thread you must be a patron to do it that's kind of the point um but then the episode itself where we discuss after we've chosen the album we discuss it that will again be available to all but if you want to nominate you must be a patron and you can only nominate in that thread on patreon to make sure that only patrons get to nominate so that's going to be interesting to see uh which bands and albums you know people pick uh uh, for us to sort of revisit and um, which you know uh, which albums of those bands uh, they want us to revisit i'm looking forward to and did seeing we discuss did we talk about like if so for example like metallica was the encore for 
last time. Oh, that's a good point. Should we say no Metallica again? Because otherwise, we it, there I, is a rule, a risk that we could just wind up doing every Metallica album. I mean, yeah, I mean, at the risk of angering the Metallica Defense Force, I would say <laughs> yes, that we do that because. Um, yeah, I think that's probably only a good because, idea. and I think if we get through. If we have enough encore episodes where it makes sense to maybe open that back up, I would say yeah. But for now, being an encore, like we'll we're we're not going to do a double encore. We'll right. do, if we're still we'll doing do this in our sixties, then you know. yeah, exactly. <laughs> then we'll come back around and, and we'll do uh, we'll do reload or something like right. that. But um, oh, load, but yeah, please, loads much better than reload. <laughs> Which one has the uh, God? I can't even remember those two albums. Um, Reload's got a couple of good tracks on it, but Load is the Load is w- far and away the better album of those two. Anyway, anyway I'm going to go back and listen to those. <laughs> but yes, uh, anyways, I fully expect that um, all the Megadeth fans will come out for this one, and we'll be talking about Megadeth in this. Uh, uh, course, so. You never know; might happen, might happen. Um, so yeah, so as I say, look for that. I will start that thread shortly after this episode goes live. Um, uh what else did i want to mention uh before we get on to facebook uh this just remind everybody who's on our facebook group that the facebook group is public it is not closed or private and that means that your posts to it may show up in your friends feeds if they follow you uh we had a listener to whom this happened and he was a bit surprised uh that a member of his family saw something he'd posted in the group um and that's because the group is public so you know just i mean obviously i don't think that's going to be an issue for most but just do be aware that anything you post in the group could wind up in your friends feeds on facebook so uh you know just bear that in mind um what was the other thing there was one more oh uh saxon so the saxon motorhead connection that we talked about Yes. During that episode where, um, you know, I hadn't realized that the bands were clearly good friends and, you know, uh, sort of toured together a few times and what have you. Well, I should have known because Pete Gill, ex-Saxon drummer back in the late 70s, 80s, was the drummer on a Motorhead album. He was the Motorhead's drummer for a period of about two years. He was the drummer on Orgasmatron which is one of my favourite albums of theirs, and on the four original tracks on the No Remorse compilation, um, and was drummer during the Motorhead's 10th anniversary, for which they uh, actually did a special concert that was recorded, filmed. And you can see the whole thing on YouTube. It's brilliant. I actually watched it just the other day. Um, and Pete Gill was a, you know, I mean, he was a great drummer. I knew that from the albums, but watching him live is also brilliant live as well. Definitely worth watching if you like that era of Motorhead. Um, and really, I mean, you know, as we've said before, I never saw Motorhead live. I know you did. And it, but it really kind of the energy coming off them, you know, they were absolutely in their prime and, uh, just incredible. You know, you even watching it on video, you're practically sweating by the end of it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it is an all out assault. I mean, that's, that's what blew me away about them. The first time I saw them, which I think was with, I saw them with Anthrax and I saw them with Megadeth. And when I saw them with Anthrax, it was in a small venue and I was close enough where I, you know, Lemmy came out and said, we are motorhead and we're going to clean your clock. And then that was the beginning of an hour and a half of devastation of of noise. Um, (laughs) Just a, uh, just a wall of noise, which is awesome, which is, which I finally, you know, at that point understood everything louder than everything else, because that is, that is the, um, you know, we talk, I was talking earlier about getting a sonic cleansing when you go to a good metal show and just like, (laughs) 
But yeah, that's what Motorhead would give you for yeah. sure. Yeah, you can see in the video these massive Marshall stacks behind them, just absolutely crazy stuff. Um, anyway, so let's. Uh, so all of that aside, what was the last episode that we did again? I've completely forgotten. So now. well, the last vo- oh, volume episode was the um, Se- Chaos AD by Sepultura. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so uh, I'll just read a couple of uh, pieces of feedback on that one. Um, let's see. Because there was a lot of Dokken talk once the Dokken thing was announced. <laughs> there was, it's uh, true. <laughs> uh, Dave Richards said, I'm so glad you guys chose this album. It has a special place in my heart because it's the first CD I ever bought. I was listening to music before this album was released, but I was a late adapter of CDs. I had a huge cassette collection. Uh, that This was me as well, by the way, Dave. Uh, he said, I brought I bought this when I started working at a record store at my co-worker's recommendation because the band was scheduled to do an in-store appearance at the shop. I loved it. I kept it in heavy rotation when it came out and have revisited a number of times over the years. Uh, So it was nice to give it another listen and hear you guys talk about it. Um, He said, listening to the podcast, a couple of things occurred to me. One, this is an album that I think feels very Motorhead in the fact that I think it's an album that both punks and metalheads would agree on. The uh, The other, it feels like this is an album that gives you a real and raw perspective of Brazil from someone who's seen both its beautiful and ugly sides. Which I, and I think both of those points are really perceptive. Um, yeah. I mean, I don't know for sure if that album was popular with punks, but I could absolutely see it. That would not surprise me in the slightest. Uh, Christopher said, awesome episode on an awesome record. In my opinion, Sepultura from beneath the remains to chaos AD is the pinnacle of thrash metal. He said, I also agree with Brian about Arise. I mean, Dead Embryonic Cells. Are you kidding me? Best thrash metal <laughs> song of all time. With the baddest breakdown ever recorded. That is a hell of a claim. <laughs> that is a big, those are, that's a, that's a big, uh, a big level to put up there. He said, I think t- I have to put KSAD in the top three of records covered so far on TO. He said, number one, Motorhead Sacrifice. Ties into what we just talked about. Number two, Sepultura Chaos AD. Number three, Death Individual Thought Patterns. Mm. So those are Christopher's top three. Uh, Stuart said, love this album. Close run uh, thing between this and Roots. I feel a transition between traditional thrash and a more groove metal feel. He said, can we say Machine Head, for example? Indeed. On this album. Uh, Neil said, great episode. This is, in my opinion, the last great Sepultura album. He said, I did not like Roots so much. Saw them for the first time in Birmingham, Hummingbird, back in '91 with Sacred Reich and Heathen. Wow! wow. Yeah, yeah, and uh, yeah, and the, when he mentioned the Hummingbird, God Almighty, that brought back some memories for me. <laughs> I'd forgotten not entirely. There are there are some venues that live in infamy, and the Hummingbird was definitely one of them. Uh, let's see. Scott said, "Any uh, haven't listened to Chaos AD since well since the mid '90s, I guess. It was good revisiting in preparation for the show. Thanks for that." He said, "I'm going to say it. Finally, a real metal album." Oh, and then of course he questioned Dokken right after that, which is to be expected. Um, Andy said, "This is an album that's essentially been in my rotation since it came out. I agree with Anthony about this being Sepultura's best album, and Nomad. That drum beat has been stuck in my head for about 20 years straight." Just a breathtakingly good record and a terrific episode. He said, I gave Dokken a spin the other night. Uh, my quick impression is that I don't really love the songwriting, but the playing is competent. And Lynch can clearly play his ass off. We'll listen more. Mm, well, indeed. Which, perhaps that's a good segue. Well, it is kind of because, yeah, um, I actually have the opposite so here's the thing, right? So let's before I want I want you to tell us a bit about the history of this band because I know almost nothing about them, 
And I genuinely, to the best of my knowledge, this is another one where I had never knowingly heard a Dokken song before listening to this album, which I know to some people may sound crazy, but I don't think they were that big over here. I know they were big in Europe, you know, mainland Europe, but I don't think they were that big in the UK unless you were genuinely into this sort of, you know, hair glam metal, whatever you want to call it, Um, which obviously, as we've established, I was not. But possibly to your surprise, I did not hate this album. Oh, I'm excited now. Um, Now I'm excited. I actually much prefer this to some of your previous picks. Um, Okay. Like, I would much rather listen to this than to the Motley Crue album. I'm so glad you said that. Or to the Def Leppard album. Oh, that one hurts. Or, frankly, to the Queensryche album. That one just probably killed Phil. (laughs) Yeah, sorry, Phil. (laughs) Phil's dead now. (laughs) Um, And the reason for that, and this is why I mentioned it kind of, you know, it's the opposite reaction. The reason for that is it's down to the strength of the songwriting. The songwriting, I think, on this is really good. Like, most of these songs are good and catchy. Where I don't like it is where it sits in the genre and the application of sort of light metal hard rock elements, which I don't think are very convincing. Frankly, this album feels, the songs, I should say, feel to me more like they belong on a Brian Adams record or a Tom Petty record. And I like both Brian Adams and Tom Petty. I'm not, that's not a knock, but I think the songs would actually be better served with those kinds of performers and that sort of instrumentation, you know, which is rock, no question, but it's not, this kind of light metal rock, which I just, it just doesn't do anything for me. You know, I like my distortion to be loud and scuzzy. <laughs> Interesting. I think then you might even like the earlier Dokken albums better because so, so I think just from a historical standpoint, um, you know, the, when you say Dokken, the one thing that people immediately think about is George Lynch and Don Dokken, which if you, because if you know anything about the band, then you know, they famously did not get along. And that's the reason that the band couldn't stay together and basically uh, didn't make it as big as they could have made it because it kind of imploded. And there's, you know, there's, I'm sure there's a behind the music out there. There's definitely been YouTube series created after like the history and, and um you know feud in Dokken and stuff like that but but initially uh Don Dokken was around and musically active before Dokken ever formed he was in a band called Airborne so he was he had been around in like the mid 70s and he was playing clubs in LA and that kind of stuff and then in i think it was 81 he went to Germany trying to get a record deal and this is a lot of this stuff is according to Wikipedia, but basically he had assembled a new band that at the time was basically a studio session band. So George Lynch and Mick Brown, who became part of the classic lineup, and then um, Juan Crozier on bass, who went eventually was in Rat. And so the first Dokken album was actually a Don Dokken album. It was initially recorded as Don Dokken Breaking the Chains. And then it was parts of it were re-recorded, and it was released in the U.S. as "Breaking the Change," the first, you know, quote unquote, Dokken album. Um, but so the relationship between the band, you know, at the beginning was almost like a studio musician relationship, and Don Dokken was the main guy. And the interesting thing is that in a lot of the stories about Dokken's history, it kind of gets told as if Don Dokken is this complete egomaniac, which all of the rest of the band hated and that he was the weakest part of the band and all this kind of stuff. But man, the more you dig into it, 
it almost seems like it seems to me like George Lynch was was what he projected onto Don Dokken. Like he was the guy who was because in uh, so many interviews and there's a, a series called Metal Mythos where a guy basically for an hour, you know, rants and raves and it's it, it's kind of a caricature YouTube series but basically tells the metal history of this band. And one of the great things that he pointed out during that series is that you listen to all these interviews of Dokken and most of the time it's George taking shots at Don as opposed to Don taking shots at George. Right. But without getting into that whole dirty laundry aspect of it, I mean, you had a band where basically the two main creative forces uh, didn't get along. And it seems like in some ways lead that singer and lead guitarist. I mean, it's such yeah. a common story, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> it, well, it's funny that you say that because a lot of that is something that uh, was perpetuated by the media, right? So clearly these guys, it's not like they were friends and this was a completely made up story through the media. They were they were business associates and the media just loved to harp on that. Right. And so right. in every interview that you see with Dawkins, even today, dude, they're not even together anymore. And like Don Dawkins will be touring with his version of Dawkins now and George Lynch is out doing, you know, uh Ultraphonics and he's doing the end machine and he's doing these other he's he's got so many projects Sweet and Lynch and all that kind of stuff. Inevitably someone at some point during the interview will raise a question to them about the other. Right. And it's just it, it, like they just—it's like uh, Lars and Mustaine, isn't it? It's dude. Yes, you know. it's like come on, man. <laughs> Thirty years ago, man, just let it go. It is, <laughs> you know. And they—they they briefly got back together in 2016 to do a live album, and they released a new Dawkins song uh, as the one new track on that album, and uh, and it was pretty good. It sounded like Dawkins, you know. Yeah. It's, um, but I think the biggest sort of uh, unjustly maligned uh, piece of Dawkins now is that. Don Dokken had vocal surgery at one point. If you see any videos of him singing now, even the ones from when they did the live album, because there was a lot of production work that went into making that sort of sound good, um, he just doesn't sound good anymore. Yeah, that's and a shame. so, yeah, to the point where it, a lot of people have sort of retroactively gone and said, well, he was never really that great of singer, which I completely disagree no, that's, with. That's he bollocks. There's, yeah, exactly. You, this it is quite clear. Bearing in mind that this album was recorded in 1984, they did Correct. not have that much technology to make bad singers sound good. Yeah, a little bit, but really, you know, there are a few tricks you could do. But for yeah, sure, even like I say, I'm obviously I'm not going to be the biggest fan of this album, but I will stand up and say this guy's a fucking great singer, or he was at that point. He was. He absolutely was, and I think that to me is one of the key differentiators for. Dokken as a band compared to so many other bands at this time period, whether they were classified as hair metal or they were hard rock or they were whatever. I feel like it is the combination of Dokken's singing, the stellar backing vocals from Jeff Pilson and Mick Brown that provided these amazing vocal harmonies that very few other bands could even dream about uh, creating. And then, of course, you have just an absolute Amazing. George Lynch, you know, him, whether he, you know, w- whether he's more responsible for this feud or not, like to me, George Lynch, arguably my second favorite guitar player of all time. Wow. Um, because if you listen to his stuff today, it sounds nothing like Dokken. He continues to, at this point in his career, push himself in a lot of different directions. And you can hear even back then what George Lynch brought to the table, in addition to that, just unbelievably superb guitar tone 
was that bluesy, um, just feel playing. I feel like him and Eddie Van Halen are in a similar category of guys that they're just those kind of feel players where it's less about the technicality and it's less about, um, it's just about that feel. And so he plays loose in a lot of ways that even though those riffs are sort of razor sharp, like he plays with that and he has this sort of loose feel, I think to his playing that was just magical and, but also very bluesy, which fit Don's, vocal stylings very well as well and so what i it just that unique combination i think is what gave doc in its sound and to go back to what you were saying about um you know this could be on a brian adams album or something like that i do feel like Dawkins' sensibilities are melodic you know they're that melodic rock sensibility and so yeah you can see um from their first album which from a production standpoint sounds a little bit you know, less heavy. And then moving along to their third album now, it sounds a little bit heavier. And then Back for the Attack is even heavier. And so, you know, a lot of people would probably say, well, you should have talked about Back for the Attack because that some might argue that's their heaviest album. But what I like about this album is that it's still that mix of some real burners and also some uh, very melodic tracks that you, like you say, could be, that maybe not even class, maybe not even classified as hard rock, you know, in some cases, which again, we'll get some guff for having this on our metal podcast. But well, no, I, I think even I wouldn't disagree that this belongs on the show. I think this, you know, because Dokken is, like I say, not for really familiar with him at all, but even I knew the name as, oh yeah, the glam rock, or sorry, glam metal guy. Like, you know, yes, it's, like I said, it's that kind of light metal which i'm not really a fan of but i i do put it in you know if you're going to discuss a broad range of metal stuff then this absolutely you know this is no lesser um deserving of a place on the show than say the scorpions album that we did right and so just to also to to hit on that note the just to give you an idea of like albums maybe similar in that vein that were coming out at the same time back in 1985 you had acdc's fly on the wall you had bon jovi's 7800 fahrenheit uh, Pantera's I Am The Night. Never forget that Pantera was a hair metal <laughs> Indeed, band. Yeah. Never, ever forget that they were hair metal. Uh, Motley Crue's Theater of Pain, which was, I think, less heavy than this album for sure. Kiss Asylum. Uh, Kicks, who maybe some people don't even know. Midnight Dynamite, which was a great album. Rat's Invasion of Your Privacy. Rat is a band, not just because of the Crozier connection, that I think just musically is often very much spoken of in the same sentence as Dokken. Uh, and a lot of times you'll hear Rat, Dokken, Motley Crue. Right. You know, all Which kind of thrown into the same. kind of makes sense, yeah. Sure. Uh, David Lee Ross, Crazy from the Heat, came out in 1985. Scorpions Worldwide Live, one of my all-time favorite uh, albums. Stripers, Soldiers Under Command, great album from them. Uh, Twisted Sisters' follow-up to Stay Hungry, Come Out and Play, came out in 1985. And then Wasp, The Last Command, one of their finest albums, came out in 1985 as well. So that was what the scene, um, you know, when you think of like... That's what metal was at, the, yeah. at that point, you know. I mean, apart from the underground, obviously, because you had like the, the thrash underground going as well. I mean, yeah, you had Megadeth's Killing right. as My Business and stuff like yeah. that. And so, but, yeah. You know, but that was the metal scene at that time. Much as people like me may not have liked it, it was the glam and the hair metal bands. You know, you don't get to say that they're not metal 
just because you don't like them. Um, so yeah, as I say, I would never say that this shouldn't be on the show. Um, I was just talking about it from a sort of, just looking at it purely from a musical point of view, that all of these songs, I think, or not all, most of these songs would be better served, uh, you know, by being in that kind of, by being done by somebody like a Brian Adams, rather than being kind of, it feels almost as if they're being forced into the metal uh, world. But like I said, that's purely just from a kind of, you know, musical songwriting point of view. In terms of the band and where they were in the genre, yeah, absolutely. As I say, that's no, regardless of whether or not somebody might like them, you don't get to say that they weren't metal just because you didn't like the scene at the time. Well, and I think that was there. I'm sure there was those external pressures too, right? Of like what the scene was demanding at that point in oh, time. Sure. I also think there was. Look at how many bands was, suddenly um, got big hair, you know, in the mid 80s, even though they may not have had it before. Yeah, it's. Sure. And then you have, you know, you have uh, the lead guitar players of the day, you know, who were most well known. So I think there was also a tension to probably on Lynch's side to make things a little bit heavier, right? Because that's where he can really showcase his uh, lead guitar playing. So I I think part of that internal strife in the band, too, is about Dokken is coming from a very melodic rock place and uh, Don Dokken, I should say. And then the the band kind of finds that middle ground in between. Um, there was an album that came out later. I can't remember the name of it, but it was one where George, uh, it was like Shadow something. I'll look it up real quick. But it was basically um, a situation where George, it was called Shadow Life. It was from 1997. That was the album that basically they thought George creatively sabotaged the entire band just to kill Dokken. He made some passing reference in a in a interview about, you know, this record is basically going to be the end of Dokken, which is what I wanted. And it was just so like of the times that it, you know, it was like grungy and it was just awful. All right. <laughs> um, and, and it basically kind of drove the the band into the ground at that point, which of course they were already, uh, already you know, heading in trouble. In that direction. Yeah. Well, they had broken up once before already and stuff like that. So it's, uh, but yeah, so I think there's a lot of reasons why their sound, continued to evolve and then in some ways devolve as they, as the sort of years went on. But what I loved about their early stuff is that it did retain that, uh, that melodic core, which I think a lot of bands, especially as you started to get into the mid eighties, you listen to the early eighties stuff, like everything like night before 1985, 1986 keyboards, synths, uh, piano driven, very, um, uh, bluesy, lots of vocal harmonies, lots of stuff like that. And then as hair metal really starts to to hit its peak, you kind of see like these, and it's funny because eventually hair metal would quote unquote, not be cool, but you started to see these sort of things that were not cool anymore to include in your songs. And so you went from these great melodic choruses to these sort of anthemic shouted choruses, you know, the sound got a little bit heavier. And so, and a lot of those keyboards and stuff started to fade away. Bands that started with a keyboard player don't have a keyboard player anymore. Like all of that stuff started to get distilled out of what was considered metal as we progressed through hair metal, even within hair metal as a genre. Um, Whereas Dokken held on to that stuff longer. And I think that to, to, to me, musically to their benefit, because there was other bands that had gotten away from that or couldn't do that to begin with, you know? Yeah, yeah. Well, and talking about their earlier stuff, I mean, I will say that um, 
I did listen and very much skimmed. You know, I didn't even listen to a whole uh, song, but I skimmed through a few tracks on the album before this. And that actually did strike me as heavier. Um, you know, there was a lot more double time drumming, that sort of thing. Uh, you know, the riffs were more kind of, it felt in some parts almost like early Halloween. Um, oh, interesting. Le- le- That's a great, less thrashy, but more that, yeah. more that kind of flavor, um, compared to this album. That was after I'd listened to this album quite a few times. So I could make a, you know, a decent comparison, even though I only skimmed through that one. Um, yeah. So I thought it was interesting that in this album, they actually, if anything, got a little softer, um, but as you say, that was the flavor of the time. Everybody was was doing it, or almost everybody. Yeah, I think um, definitely parts of Tooth and Nail are heavy. Tooth and Nail, that's like, it, yeah. Yeah, When Heaven Comes Down, Into the Fire, those are heavy songs. And I think there's almost a lot of parallels on this album here. Um, but I think, to me, Back for the Attack is like the, the one that, which comes after this one, that really is like where it all comes together right. from a heavy standpoint. You got kiss of death prisoner, uh, so many tears lost behind the wall. I mean, just, and of course, dream warriors, which was associated with uh, nightmare on Elm street three. Oh yeah. They yeah. did the, the title track for that. So, um, Oh, okay. So I have right. I said, I hadn't knowingly heard. So I had heard a dock and track before then. Yeah. In fact, I think you might've mentioned this last time and then I'd immediately forgotten, <laughs> but yes, so I, I had heard that song before. I feel like that one is the album that people will often point to as like, this is the quintessential, but I, I don't think it's as varied as this album, which is what I like more mm-hmm. uh, about this particular album. Well, so there is a tendency sometimes for people to pick the album that's most commercially successful or most widely known and say that that's the pinnacle, uh, right. Just for that reason alone. And that's, you know, that's sometimes the case, but not always, let's face it. So just a couple of uh, snippets from interviews. Dee Snyder actually had uh, Don Dockin on MTV. He interviewed him for in 1985 when Dockin was talking about what is the next studio album going to be like. And he was basically saying uh, it's going to be heavy, but still have a lot of that melody. And a lot of those early interviews with Don Dockin, he really harps on the melodic piece there. Like he, because everybody saw, is it going to be crushing? Is it going to be heavy? And he will go back to like, yep, it'll be heavy, but it's still going to be melodic. We're still going to have that melody there. And so that leads me to believe that that was really, to him, what was very important to the core of Dokken was that melody. And I think in the music he made after Dokken broke up and with his own lineup and stuff like that, that's still true. you know. And he was an accomplished guitar player in his own right back in the day. And then George became sort of the centerpiece from a guitar standpoint. And Don was the, um, you know, became the singer. Uh, and it, there was another interview in Metal Forces magazine back in 86 where they were talking about that. You know, why did Don decide to concentrate on singing? You know, and uh, at the time, George said it, it wasn't a matter of us competing from a guitar standpoint. It was a matter of a lack of focus in the band. So we were we were a little nondescript at that point. And so we, you know, look wise, sound wise, we decided to get more focused. And that was with George being on guitar and Don focusing on vocals. Well, and yeah, looks-wise, they were certainly focused by this album because, I mean, you look at them on the cover and, again, you know, talking about the difference between glam metal and hair metal, really not much other than what the bands look like. And this is glam metal I always associated with a bit more sleaze, whereas hair metal was a bit cleaner, if that makes sense. 
a bit more sort of respectable. And this is definitely on visually on the hair metal side of things. Uh, you know, they look like obviously like hair metal guys, but they look like the kind yeah. of hair metal guys you could take home to meet your parents. Whereas you right. wouldn't necessarily and say that about Motley Crue. The, the glam metal thing, you, I think you're dead on about that because like if you, you can find online the cover for the Don Dokken album, Breaking the Chains. And it's, it's definitely like, it's like him chained up to a post just himself with like a leather vest on and a, a zebra print, you know, like spandex shirt on. Like there was definitely that, that huge glam element you know, coming yeah. in there. Plus, I mean, playing in LA on the Sunset Strip and stuff like that. I mean, that was the scene at the time. Absolutely, and so, yeah. And that was um, fairly sleazy. <laughs> for sure. And and that sleazy thing, I feel like because of the bluesy way that Lynch plays, there's this, he's got that sleaze element to his playing sometimes I, that he can. I don't feel that. I, I'm not getting that kind of bluesy. I know what you mean, but I don't get that from his from his playing at all. It's not something that really came across to me when I was listening. Interesting. I mean, he's clearly well, maybe- a very, very good player, and you're right that he he obviously plays, uh, you know, kind of from the heart, as it were. But he is also very technical, and there is a fair amount of fret wanking on this album. Well, I mean, in the solos, the solos are just complete yeah <laughs> shredders you know which to you are just wank jobs but for, for me are just like beautiful uh pieces of artwork uh but yeah and that's i mean that's what you could expect from a docking song you know if you were to say what is the docking song it was the melodies it was uh usually a solid hook and then a ridiculous solo from george lynch you know that was it was almost like he's gets uncaged for the solo and then they put him back in the cage for the rest of the song. <laughs> back in your box. That, which in fact, in the dream warriors video, he's literally like burst through a wall to <laughs> play his guitar solo. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's, that's essentially, uh, which is not too different from some of the other bands of the day as well, who had a, you know, just sort of a amazing lead guitar player is that, you'd get to that solo and then it would just take off. Oh yeah. The spotlight, all the spotlight turns onto the guitar player at that point. Yeah. Yeah. You know, again, that was, that was the era. It was the time of the big guitar solo and everybody was expected to have a lead guitarist who could bust those guitar solos out, you know? Yep. Um, Which as we've established is literally my favorite thing in the world. Like I do, this is my uh, type of music. So it it does. It, it was one of the interesting things to me about when Guns N' Roses hit big. Uh, you know, I'm not Guns N' Roses' biggest fan. I like some of their songs just fine. But one of the things that struck me was that, I mean, obviously Slash is a great guitarist, but he's not that guitarist. He's not Eddie Van Halen. He's not the guy who sits there finger-tapping his way for two minutes through a solo. Uh, and his solos are very bluesy and kind of, you know, go by feel rather than technical prowess. And so given that they were at the tail end of this era of metal, I always found that really interesting that a uh, you know, it was kind of almost like a back to basics approach that seemed to really resonate with listeners who were maybe tired of the endless widdly, widdly, widdly guitar solos. Well, and I, uh, uh, Slash is a great one to bring up because I do feel like, as far as like emotional players, Slash is oh, he's one of the best. Yeah, absolutely. Like his ability to fit the emotion of a song and have a solo that is not over the top, but, uh, and there are times where he, you know, he'll he'll dive into it and get a lot more. Um, oh, I'm not saying sh- that he's not capable of doing it. We, he does. But that's bust not what his default. But yeah, right. But it's not it, his. default He stays mode within the song for, for the most part. Yeah. And 
and his solos like emotionally complement the song. And I, I clearly you disagree with the George Lynch thing on here, but I do feel like if you take out some of the whittly whittlies of George Lynch's solos, like he does, and especially outside of the solos, like within verses, those little fills and things like that, to me, do lend an emotional element to the song. Where as opposed to, I, I, I'm sure I'll think of a good example of other quote unquote hair metal bands where the fills are unrelated, <laughs> you know, to the song <laughs> at all. They're just a fill, right? Um, as opposed to a fill that complements the song. I do feel like he does a good job of emphasizing certain parts of the song as he kind of goes along, and it feels very improvised, even if it's you know not you know. And and so to to me, like whether he's um, it, it feels like he's kind of playing along with whatever the feel of the moment is at that particular time. But that's just how I feel about his playing, yeah, you know? Sure. All right, well, let's get into the album then. So uh, it is, yeah, 1985, as we said, so smack bang in the middle of that whole glam and hair movement, you know, when it was really at its peak. So you can well understand why they'd, you know, want to take advantage of that with an album like this. Um 42 minutes, 10 songs, so all perfectly average again for the time, yep. uh, you know, perfectly normal. What? How did it do chart-wise? I assume it did really well. Uh, it This particular one reached uh, a peak of, I just had it in front of me, Ba-ba-ba, there it is. It reached number 32 on the U.S. Billboard 200 and remained on the chart for 67 weeks. Wow. Eventually went platinum uh, in 1987, but 67 weeks on the chart. And the two singles from this song, and we'll talk about them when we get to them too, but The Hunter and In My Dreams were the two big uh, singles at the time. Definitely not the songs that I would call out from this album, but but at the time they reached number uh, 25 and 24 on the mainstream rock chart. And so, uh, yeah, number 32 at yeah, the time. So, so basically not the sort of thing, you know, not, top 10, you know, ubiquitous, oh my God, everybody went out and bought it, but very, right. you know, good, respectable position. And he has 67 weeks on the chart. That's, wow. You know. Right. And just to give you a, a frame of reference, Back for the Attack, their follow-up hit number 13 on the Billboard 200. Right. Well, you often and find so- with um, uh, bands that the, the sort of, the, the, what you might call the most creatively successful album, uh, is the one that lays the groundwork for the n- most commercially successful album that follows. Um, I'm thinking, you know, for example, Pantera. Um, uh, which, Cowboys from Hell and then well, no, Vulgar I was, Display. No, right? I was going to say Vulgar Display was uh, kind of set the groundwork for Far Beyond Driven. Like Vulgar Display oh, right. did well, but it was Far Beyond Driven that hit number one on the charts, um, you know, because they'd used Vulgar to build up all of the the good word of mass so that when Farbone Driven came out, everybody just went out and bought it immediately because they'd spent that time building up their reputation. So maybe the fact that this album was on the charts for so long is what contributed to the next album charting so high. You know, it was it was the same people buying it, but instead of buying it over the course of a year, in you know, some of them buying it here and there, they all went out and bought it at the same time, and that's what drove it up right. the charts. Well, and this album came out in November of 85, and less than four years later, this band would be broken up. Yeah, well, sadly common story, isn't it? Yep. They would have their biggest success on the next record, then they'd release a killer live album, and then they broke up. And so, 
but at the time they were on this, this was them ascending, you know, yeah, yeah. and again, about to hit the big time with the next album. And uh, in fact, in 1988, they were on the monsters of rock tour with Metallica. First of all, it was Van Halen was the closer on that. The first monsters of rock tour back in 1988, but it was Van Halen, Scorpions, Dokken, Metallica, and Kingdom Come. Wow. Were the bands on that. So, um, unfortunately for Dokken, they had to follow Metallica on oh. that tour, and that was pretty rough for them. Uh, it was Dokken, then Scorpions, then Van Halen would close the show. But just to give you an idea of, in 1988, less than a year before they broke up, that's where they were. They right, were yeah. that's... Van Halen, Scorpions, Dokken, Metallica, I mean that that's ready to hit the peak, isn't it? Yeah. Yep. Absolutely. A band that you could argue that that band was about to reach that legendary status and then they imploded. Man. Which is crazy, right? Uh which is why I think people still have such strong feelings about them nowadays because they were like right there. It's like imagine what could have been. Yeah. It's imagine what could have been, especially with those two talents and um you know, if it, of course we know now that Don's vocals didn't hold up as well you know over the years but who knows what would have happened well sure um, but that that was you know that took time then again you know sometimes be grateful for what you wish for because look at halloween you know after keeper you 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 could have the same kind of like my god they're ready to absolutely conquer the world and then they released two three absolutely dreadful albums yeah um and just <laughs> you know uh collapsed what a shame yeah, and some bands are lucky enough to be around long enough to fail and then have it come back around again and kind of right. get, you know, and some bands, <laughs> yeah. you know, but or, but that's a great question, right? Like, is it better to sort of see yourself sort of crumble into, a, you know, a crappy album obscurity or to kind of leave on a high note? Um, oh, but that's the thing with Dokken is they didn't necessarily leave on a high note because then they got back together again and then there was albums with different lineups well, and, and then there also, was this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, you know, you can also just never know. It depends whether you think you've got something still in the tank. I mean, this, funnily enough, as we're recording, just uh, yesterday, um, uh, Mike Shaw, the showrunner of uh, The Good Place, announced that the next season is going to be the last of that show. Um and that's very much a kind of, there's been a lot of discussion as a result uh, since then about, you know, going out on a high note and whether, you know, whether it's good or bad that creators get to call time on a show before they think that it's going to get stuck in a rush. You know, I'm all in favor of it. Um, yeah, me too. But I know there are people who are like, oh yeah, but you know, on the other hand, I, I do wish that we could get a few more seasons and, you know, it's, uh, I'm going to be sad to see it go and I'll be sad to see it go, but I, I'm always in favor of creators being able to call time on a project like that. Um, and he says it's because he worries that if it goes on any longer, uh, they will run out of gas, you know, and, right. and it will sort of, yeah, collapse. And it, Faulty Towers is the canonical example in TV comedy. You know, there are 12 episodes and every single one of them is brilliant. And, that, yep. and that's why, because if there were 40 episodes, maybe 20 of them would be brilliant and the other 20 would be terrible. Um, yep. And it would not be remembered anywhere near as fondly as it is. So, you know, and you can say the same with bands and music. It's uh, when you have a band that only makes a few records and then flames out, if they're all good, you know, that kind of cements their reputation forever, really, because you don't have that decline of the later albums where everybody goes, yeah, but then they got a bit shit. Right. Which, you know, be careful what you wish for. 
<laughs> All right, so let's get on to the album then. Uh, track one is Unchain the Night. I mean, to me, this is a perfect Dawkins song. I mean, you've got that sort of synth opening with the acoustic over it, and then the drums start to come in, and then at 35 seconds, you get the pick slide into the main riff. So awesome. Like, that to me is just such classic Dawkins. It just feels like that sound to me is perfect. And the main hook here, the main riff, I think is great. It, it's pretty good, yeah. The the intro is, I mean, it is nice and atmospheric, but yeah, it's hearing the first 30 seconds is enough to tell you, or to tell me anyway, exactly what this album's going to sound like. Like, it is a quintessential mid-80s hair metal album intro. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, yeah. As soon as you hear it, you go, oh, it's going to be that kind of record. Okay. Which, yep. I mean, obviously is a good thing. It's I'm laughing about it, but it is a good thing because that is the record they made. Um, what really comes across in this first track for me is how good his voice is because he carries yes. the entire verse melody. If you listen to the guitars, they're not doing anything. You know, they're they're really, really uninteresting. Um, I'm sure deliberately because he is carrying the entire melody of those verses on his voice. Um, so yeah, I mean the idea that anybody could say, "Oh well, he was never that good a vocalist." Rubbish, absolute rubbish. He's clearly got a fantastic voice, and he carries this song with it. You know, it's good enough to do that. Um, yeah, it's uh, the middle eight. I like the 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 echoes and the cries of na 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 never all that. That's, oh, that's so great, dude. That's that's effective. I like that. That's uh, you know that's a nice little break, and I like the reworking of the chorus at the end. If you listen to the guitars, oh hell, they're yes. not doing the same as they were at the start. They're not chugging along and playing the same thing as they were when you know the first couple of times you hear the chorus, and I think that's a nice effect. The whole thing at the end has. Um, a feel of it feels like like the song itself is driving off into the sunset <laughs> do you yep. know what i mean after well, having saved the world <laughs> and you have like the main verse riff is that killer chugging riff and then when he gets to the chorus it's like the single notes played underneath his you know uh vocals there and the well, but other like thing say, that that's I love- at the end the first couple of times he does the chorus the guitars are still chugging oh right 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 yeah the other thing that I love is where right before, um, like in between each verse, like right before the, the verse at uh, 49 seconds, he does just that screeching wail of the guitar. 
and then the verse kicks in again. Um, right before the chorus, everything drops out, and you have like ban out, ban out. Like he's got that sort of four note uh, descending thing right before the chorus hits off. Uh, George Lynch does yeah. on the guitar, which I think is awesome. Um, then you have it like a minute and 40 seconds. He does that like whammy fill right before the main verse begins again. So it's like those little things that I love that he does in the song that just like add another punch to it. To yeah. Me. Like setting up the next section. Yeah. And then, and then Don's vocals come in right, you know, right with the riff and it's like, perfect. It's like this, it's like this back and forth that feels really great. Mm. As I say, it's it's a, it's a good opening song. Actually, there's a point. I'd be interested to see if you can, because I think I know what your favorite song on this album is going to be. Uh, and when we get there, I'll, I'll tell you. So I'd be interested to think what you, hear what you think my favorite track is going to be, because it may surprise you, but I don't know, or maybe not. <laughs> what I think your favorite track will be. Wow. Sorry, you don't have to don't have to commit now, but uh, yeah, you know, just while we're going through it, um, yeah, I mean, like I say, this it's a good song, it's a good opener in terms of setting the stage for the album and what the album's going to be. It is a really great opener because it absolutely says this is going to be this kind of record. You know, strap in, this is what you're going to get for the next forty minutes. Um, and in that respect, it's yeah, it's really great. It's not my favorite on the album, but it's it's above the halfway mark. You know, it's, in, yeah, it's, it's in the top five for me. It's definitely one of my favorites on the album because I think it's a classic Dawkins song. Right. Like this is what, if I was to make a mixtape of Dawkins, this would be one of the songs on that mixtape for sure. Oh, interesting. Okay. Okay. All right, let's move on then to track two, The Hunter. feels a little more um it's not a ballad but it's it's definitely a little you know lower tempo a little more kind of bluesy i feel like uh this got to number 25 on the mainstream rock chart which kind of blows me away because i don't personally feel like it's one of the strongest songs on the album Mm, but it's but but it's a it's a nice contrast i think to the first song i just think maybe it would have been better served a song or two lower in the order maybe um, I mean, to go from it is yeah. a good contrast to the first track it's as you say you know it's kind of it brings things down a bit after a fairly high energy first track 
it works better in the context of the album, I would think, than as a standalone song. I think it's a really odd choice for a single. I didn't know this was a single until you mentioned it, and I think that's a really strange choice off this album. It's not, yeah. not at all what I would have picked, but, you know, hey. Um, yeah, I mean, I like the chord changes in this one and the the vocal melody and the arrangement. It, it's a good... This is this is one where it, it's a good piece of music. Again, I, I'd maybe like it more if I heard it performed by you know a different artist. But as a composition, as a good as a piece of music, it is really good. The vocal arrangement, especially, is really really good. Um, and I like the guitar solo in this one more than in because this one does feel more heartfelt, more like a kind of storytelling yes. solo. Yep. I totally agree. And and I love that you talked about the sort of vocal composition there, because I do feel like that's another thing that they don't get credit for as a band is they're not on a lot of these songs. They're not following the formula like the the and we'll, we'll talk about that on the next song, too. But like, um, I just think that that's very underrated for this band, like the vocal compositions, the melodies that they're putting together, the background vocals, which are just super strong. On every yeah, song. I didn't know the. Ba- I assumed the background vocals were Dokken multi-tracking, but you're saying that they're not. They're actually the other guys in the band. Well, I'm sure there's part of that in there, but Jeff Pilson is an amazing singer. He is currently the bass player for Foreigner, and he but he did his own incarnation of Dokken a few years ago called uh, TNN Tooth and Nail, and where he sang lead vocals. And there are demo tracks oh, wow. of a lot of Dokken songs out there with him singing lead vocals. And today, right now. He has a better voice than Don Dokken, like right now in 2019. He can Pro- sing. Probably and, not that many bass players out there that could sing this kind of material and sound good, let's be honest. <laughs> yeah, and and uh, in reading back, like Mick Brown is credited with a lot of background vocals too, but I, to me, it's always been Jeff Pilson. Like Jeff Pilson has been the other voice in this band that can hang with Don Dokken and can complement Don Dokken uh, and is just... Uh, really undervalued because he they have that you know but i'm sure there absolutely was multi-tracking with don's voice as well but jeff pilson is a wonderful singer hmm. all right um so yeah n- a not entirely successful second track as i say I, I feel it kind of works better in the context of the album than just as a song by itself uh but then the next track is in my dreams in my dreams it's still the same your love is strong it's still Which you basically get the chorus to open the song, right? Yeah. 
you get this like awesome, you know, opening to the song, and then you get another what I think is awesome guitar rift, but the just the guitar tone when it comes in is just freaking amazing. This to me is another like prototypical Dokken song. Yeah, see, I, I I don't like that guitar tone. That's the kind of that's exactly that sort of soft rock light distortion that just kind of rubs me the wrong way. Oh my god, uh, it's like freaking life for me. <laughs> like I like literally that is if if you said to me like what is your favorite guitar tone of all time, George Lynch? Like immediately, right. I would just say George Lynch. Like the the George Lynch Dokken guitar tone is my favorite thing ever i, I think I it's just, just freaking love it i just you know blame the fact that obviously i as i've said i grew up on sabbath and motorhead and so to me distortion is just loud and scuzzy and yep. you know the strings are ringing a bit and it's not it's not clean basically it's dirty and just kind of as much volume as tone uh and obviously this is completely the opposite of that where it is very very precise and clean and you can hear every single note you know very cleanly and precisely um yeah it's yeah horses for courses and all that but yeah so i I like the i mean i do i think this actually isn't a bad song this is the one that made me think oh hang on if this was recorded as a pop song i'd probably actually like it more uh and that was what made me then sort of think about the rest of the album in that context the songwriting on this per se is really good the- and I love like the pre-court, like what can I say or do? You won't come back. We're through. I've realized too late that baby your love has turned away. And then the chorus after like the just his like vocal arrangement there is awesome. Well, I was going to say the key change on those those choral bits at the start. That's really effective. I think that really works. I, I, I actually don't like the chorus as by, by itself so much. I think this is actually quite a weak chorus for them. They have better choruses on this album. Um, well, do you think it could be it could feel weak just because of the way the guitar is under that chorus? No, no, I think it's the melody. I just don't think yeah, I, I don't think it's strong enough compared to the rest of the song. Because, like I say, the rest of the composition I think is actually very strong on this, and then the chorus kind of lets it down a bit. It doesn't feel like it's got enough oomph, and that's not just in the performance. That's you know in the the choice of uh, of notes and stuff as well. So you know, but it is yeah, as I say that. It's not a bad song at all, and it's it's well written. Just yeah, kind of a little let down by the chorus for me. Oh, and also doing that drop everything out. You know the trick where you like drop everything except one instrument yeah. and maybe the drums. They do that twice in this song. That's a cheap trick. You know, once per song, fair oh, enough. Buddy, but that twice cheap trick gets me song. every time. Do it ten times. <laughs> I'll take it all ten times. <laughs> that is that stuff is just candy for me. I freaking love it. Um, so yeah, and that and and it is a lot of those sort of tricks that Dokken, the tropes, if you will, that Dokken uses that I I do love about them because I feel to me and their execution is better than a lot of other bands at the time because of their musicianship because of Dokken's, um you know, vocals, I, I feel like they do it better than other people, even though what they're doing may be a cliche for the time. You right, know what I mean? But it's well executed. Yes. Which is fair enough. Yeah. That's, uh, you know, I mean, you could say that about a lot of the sort of seventies pop music that I do like is, you know, it's not strikingly original necessarily, but it's just really, really well done. You, you know, certainly a lot of disco and funk stuff is like that. Yep. Uh, next track then is the first of the real ballads, I'd say, Slipping Away. 
This to me is the worst song on the album. Um, wow. Okay. Yeah, I do not like this song. Uh, it just to me, it doesn't feel focused at all. It just feels very meandering. Um, it just uh, it it feels like the ballad that you have to put on the album because this is an '80s album. So you have to have you know one true ballad on the album. And I just like this compared to the first three songs that we got. So. Um, because again, even though the hunter isn't one of my favorite songs on the album, like I like what it's doing there. I like the feel of it. Um, I like the chorus in that song. Obviously, I love Unchain the Night. It's an amazing song in my mind. In my dreams, another fantastic Dawkins song. Slipping away to me sounds like a song that any other band could have also done. That is a very that is a very good point, actually. That's very well observed. Yeah. My first note on this is is there anything more eighties than this song? That's what I'm saying, dude. So it's like, and and what I like about Dokken is even though they do are, are using some of those cliches, it's the execution and it's the diversity on the albums that to me feel different than a lot of other 80s bands. And so slipping away to me, I don't want to call it lazy, but it just, it almost feels to me like beneath them. This is, right. this is not a song that's worthy of, if I had 15 songs that I was looking at for this album and this was one of them, this would have been one of the ones on the cutting room floor. Right. You know? This would not have made the album. Yeah. Correct. I mean, yeah. The, my, my other notes, my more, yeah, my, my less flippant notes um, are that, yeah, the songwriting is not even so hot on this one. As you said, no. it, it is predictable. The, the post chorus guitars just flounder. Like, yeah, it, it, like, it sounds like he's just filling time with a couple of random chords. It sounds like chords, no one wants you know? to be there. Right, yeah. Like, <laughs> and this is or, your or number they, four they song. Know why they're there. It's like, why are we right. doing this? <laughs> yeah, dude, just get rid of it. Like, yeah. cut this one out. Yeah. It's only three three minutes three minutes and 48 seconds long that we could have lost from this album, and we still would have been well within 80s metal album timeline. Absolutely. Next. And the next track is Lightning Strikes Again.
And boy, does it. Because this song freaking rules. This is my favorite track on the album. Oh my God, dude. What a ripper. This, I, I mean, first of all, yeah. this is Judas Priest incarnate, right? Yes. And, and, my, uh, my, again, my first note reminds me of Priest. Oh yeah. Well, you go with it then, because this is your favorite song. Tell me all, well, what you thought well, of it. Well, at first I was going to say it reminds me of Priest because, uh, but I wasn't sure if that was just because of the lightning lyrics. And of course, my favorite track, if you remember on the Priest album we did, was Leather Rebel which has got yep. the lightning in the dark line. And I was like, is, am I just conflating the two? But no, it is. this is really my favourite one. What I realised was that the chorus reminds me of Priest. The verse reminds me of Dio. Yes. Really reminds me of Dio. When I thought about it, I was like, no, no, this sounds like that Dio stuff that we listen to. Um, I don't know why this is the closer on side one. I think it's a really weird place to put it. This would have been the opener to side two if I was putting this See, album together. Wow, that's so interesting because I feel like, and I'd have to bring up other examples, but I feel like a lot of 80s albums, at least that I listen to, that would be in the hair metal metal genres, the f- closing song on the first side was always killer. Oh, it was a barnstormer. Right, right. Yep, because they wanted to get you to flip the tape over, you know, and to me, this fits that so perfectly. Uh, it is really like I can any, see any sort of, uh, uh, any sort of lingering kind of mehness that you had from slipping away just gets destroyed immediately because the song is just like actually maybe it just that's absolutely what, kills maybe that's why they put it at the end of side two maybe they knew that slipping away was yeah. not the best song they had <laughs> but yeah I it's mean, just freaking is, great dude. it's got a massive chorus uh it's got the multi-tracked vocals actually help the chorus give it a really big yep. sound i think um and the the punctuation at the end of the chorus when the guitar and the drums do that yeah. stop start yeah it's awesome and the way that's the way it ends as well i think that's a very priest ending as well the last like 20 seconds really sound like you know a priest song ending so yeah absolutely my favorite track on the album stand you know and i would say this is one of the one of only two tracks really on the album that i would happily lift off this album and just put into my regular listening habits yep I mean, just the like the distorted voice in the background, the lights go down, you know, yeah. like just everything about it is just so awesome. And it's, it's got um, great energy as well. It's, you know, one of the most energetic tracks on the album for sure. And when they're doing, when the, when he sings the first line of the chorus, when the lightning strikes again, and you've got that those sort of like uh, single notes being played underneath it, and then it picks up and gets thrashy. Yeah. You know, it's just so freaking awesome. Well, and when that's he hits like, the high note, you know, when he sings and when the lights go down and it hits yeah. that high note and you're like, whoa, that's, you know. <laughs> and then, and you might be near the end, just the way that kind of curves up and down is yep. so awesome. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, it's it, great, it follow, great follows the, the guitar, follows that melody as well there. And uh, yeah, that's, uh, yeah, it's just well put I together. Think, I think that also might, that that's a 1A for me for favorite song on the album too, because I think it's... Uh, and for me, I think it's heavier than most of Dawkins' songs, right? Like, it is their thrashier right. uh, version. But it is also the one where you look at that and you go, there's no way you can say that that's not metal, right? I mean, that is freaking metal. Yeah. Right there. Yeah, no, um, absolutely. All right, so let's so, flip it over then to side two. Uh, and first track on side two, track six of the album is It's Not Love.
which uh, to me another prototypical Dawkins song. I love this song. It's got that sort of bluesy opening. Um, you get a little sort of flair from the bass, and then here's where I feel like um, Lynch's guitar tone is is a little bit dirty. I mean, it's it's definitely not distorted like the type of distortion that you like, but I feel like the way he's playing, um, I just I just love his style on this particular songs. Actually, no. Th- okay, thinking about the chorus, I would say yes. Okay, this is probably in terms of his playing, maybe the bluesiest track on the album. Yeah, um, I, I'm surprised that you like this as much as you do, only because. Uh, when I heard this, I was like, oh, no, no, I take it back. This is the most 80s song on, on the record. Oh, yeah. Oh, it's totally the 80s song. <laughs> but you know what I like is that you've got when they're screaming, why, baby, why? Like that sort of high vocal. And then it's not love, the shouted anthemic sort of return there. I I do feel like that's a good – you get both here. Right. You get the melodic yeah. side and you also get that shouted anthemic vocal, which again – as we got into the mid eighties there, the melodic side started to fade away and everything was just those shouted anthemic, you know, uh, sort of vocals. And so that's where I feel like they still have both of those elements really at play in a lot of their songs. And that's what I love about Dokken. Well, and I think it's what saves this song actually for me. Um, I mean, yeah, this is not one of my favorite songs in the album, but what saves it is that two, it's almost like it's got two choruses. Um, yes. and you, you see this actually, this is, this was a very popular thing in pop rock songs of the time where you would have a chorus or what felt like a chorus, and then you'd have another chorus immediately afterwards. Um, so you've got the, it's not love bit, which is technically a pre-chorus, but honestly that, you know, that's a chorus. Um, yep. and then, yeah, but it only serves as like an intro to the shouted why baby why, which is the, the chorus proper. And when it's done well, that is really effective and i'm a bit of a sucker for it um one of my i've mentioned it to you before one of my favorite pop rock albums of the 80s uh is a band called dreams so real and their first album rough night in jericho oh yeah yeah no you sent me that and, a while back right and yep. almost every song on that album does that two choruses thing yeah um when it's done well I like it. it's really really good yeah um yeah i agree so yeah as i say not my favorite song on the album but it definitely has elements that kind of uh you know elevate it for me yeah and i think it's a good opener for side two i mean granted it's not lightning strikes again but it's also um it's fairly high energy yeah yeah exactly exactly yeah um if only we could say the same about the next song which is track seven jaded heart
and again, this is the other ballad on the album, and uh, I feel, although I do like it better than Slippin' Away, because Slippin' Away, I feel like, doesn't at all feel like a Dawkins song to me, whereas Jaded Heart, it feels inverted because the verse is really boring, and I feel like the chorus is what picks it up. It's got a better riff, it's got uh, better. It's got a nice vocal chorus, and so... At least to me, there's something to hold on to in this song, whereas with uh, with the other one, which I just forget, slipping away, I almost forgot the name of the song. Uh, it really, there's nothing, there's nothing in there for me to hold on to. Like here, so uh, and you know, uh, to me, like the whole inclusion of the ballads on the '80s albums was a necessary evil, and I get that, and uh, I don't understand why they'd always have to do two of them. Like one is more than enough that to put on those one albums, on each side, I guess. Yeah, it's, it ends up being one on each side, and to me, it's a waste of a song slot. It, although there certainly are good. 80s ballads oh, that sure. I feel yeah. like deserve to be on those songs. But um yeah, but Jaded Heart to me, if if we were picking like which ballad are we going to keep on this album, I would toss the other one in a second and keep Jaded Heart. Yeah, I, I think I'd actually probably agree with you. This is a better song than Slipping Away, but it is still it's the third slow semi-acoustic song we've had in seven yeah. tracks. Like, you know, it's just too many. And so as a result, even though this is a better song than slipping away this for me is where the record starts to dip just because too much you know too many too many slow songs um it's yeah it just it feels like this is where the album's starting to go downhill for me unfortunately um the best thing about it for me is a weird choice really weird choice so the in the first time they do the chorus the final pre-chorus line dips to a sort of unexpected chord. Uh, yeah. And then it goes back up into Jaded Heart. And that's nice. It's really nice because it's a nice little counterpoint. It's an unusual chord. It kind of, it sets up for the chorus. Brilliant. He only does it that one time. Every other time he sings the chorus, the pre-chorus just keeps going up and up. Uh, and so there isn't as much of a elevation it, musically, just purely in terms of the the notes between the pre-chorus and the chorus, and that renders for me the chorus less effective. I, I'm getting technical because, or relatively as technical as I can get, because I was listening to it going like, "Why? What's wrong here? Why isn't this working?" Right. And why would you get away from something that added a nice element to the song? Well, and I didn't even realize make it what more that element, generic. All the, right, right. Yeah, but I didn't realize what the element was until I went through it. I listened to it, you know, over and over, going, "What is?" what's missing here what's and then i realized oh wait one of these things is not like the others and yeah what did you say why would you why would you take something good and unusual and replace it with something less effective and generic uh, go figure yep it's, it's a shame because if they'd kept that i'd probably like this song more than i do um but uh yeah as i say it just kind of feels like it sucks but the still energy the out best of ballad on the album well yeah if we had to pick ballads yeah but you know <laughs> <laughs> lesser of two evils uh and then track okay so moving on to track eight don't lie to me you 
I love this song and I'll tell you why because it is it feels like it is from it's like a leftover from the 70s Don Dokken. Right. You know what I mean? It feels like it doesn't feel like an eight, 1985 hair metal you know even hard rock song. To me it feels like a mid to late 70s more melodic classic rock song. And while other people may not dig that like I feel like this is almost like a a throwback to earlier times that he's including on here and the vocals are great the harmonies are great um i i like it and it, it was a song the first time i heard it i didn't like it so much but the more i've listened to it like it's actually really grown on me because it's a throwback okay so i don't know you know sort of i can't really compare it to the 70s don Dokken, uh but this is the track that i predicted would be your favorite on the album oh nice yeah uh, i mean and maybe it's not by the sounds of it but at least in, you know, it sounds like you like it a lot. So I was. I do like it. I, the vocals are great. Yeah, I, I don't like it. <laughs> <I'm afraid>. <laughs> <laughs> um, I like how it starts with that kind of quasi solo. That's interesting because they haven't done that anywhere else. Um, but the rest of the song just does not hold my interest at all. I'm afraid this and Jaded Heart for me, as I say, are the kind of the dip, the valley of the album. Um, yep. But yeah, that's uh, so. I, I do like it. I had it down to between two tracks, between this and the final track, as either of those being your favourites. So uh, interesting. Moving on though, track nine is "Will the Sunrise." This may surprise you, but I think this might be my favorite song on the album. Oh, okay. Well, here's where we're going to have a meeting of minds then, because this is my second favorite track. I freaking love this song, dude. This is a good example. This, again, is a good example of how is Dokken different than other bands of this time? 
Here's a good example of that, right? The vocal harmonies are great. The chorus is freaking awesome. Um, the riff is, to me, like very subdued. And the vocals carry this entire song. So, you know, it's where George is not overpowering what Don is trying to do. Don, Don is getting to uh, lead this song. And it's this whole, you know, do I have any hope for tomorrow kind of feel is awesome. It just all comes together on this song. So I agree with that, except the I don't, th- I mean, the vocals are great. But actually, I think the instrumentation contributes a lot more to this song than maybe you realize. Uh, I One of the reasons that I like it is that the instrumentation on this track is different to any other track on the album um, and in, and is just good. I mean, I think this should have been the closing track. I would have put this as the final Ooh, track I could on the see album. that. Um, I could see that. It's, you know, yeah, again, it's not very metal, whatever. But taking this song on its own terms, it is by far one of the best and most interesting on the album for me. It's got interesting chords, has some lovely guitar arpeggios. Uh, the chorus is lovely and melodic, some beautiful counterpoints and harmonies and stuff. Uh, it's got that melancholic tinge, which obviously is, you know, my bag. <laughs> but it's got some nice layering as well. There are points yep. in this song during the pre-chorus where there are four guitar sounds all going at once, which, you know, unless you listen to it with the kind of crazy you know uh, ear that i do you may not realize but there is a lot of layering and instrumentation going on here um and i think that but it's all a bed to dockin's vocals you say his vocals well, yeah, are great and, and they do stand out but the music i think i'm in agreement with you because that what i all all i was saying about that is that it, it those are all in support of his vocals as opposed to them vying for oh, right. okay, overpowering yeah. his vocals. You know what I mean? Because I do think, and that's the thing is like when they, when they do the more, uh, you know, melodic guitar parts and the, and less riff heavy parts, like there's, there's some amazing melodies there. And so I love when that stuff all comes together. And here is a song where I feel like it, it still has enough of an edge to feel rocky, but it's, Everything else about it is just so atmospheric, and I really, really, uh, I think it's a great song, not just a great exactly. Dawkins song. Yeah, yeah. this is the other track that, as I say, I would lift off this album and just put into my regular rotation, because I, I genuinely like this song a lot, even though it's one of the less heavy you know, tracks on the album. Um, one other nice little muso point that I really like is the repeating first line of the chorus at the end, because that line ends on a suspended note and that's why it feels like it's constantly on edge the whole time as if it's never going to resolve until it finally does right at the end and that's why it feels so satisfying um again that's just good songwriting that's really intelligent uh, you know smart uh composition no and i appreciate your that's why I, I love having these discussions with you because your technical knowledge from the musician side actually can articulate this stuff a lot better than I can. And you're, you're proving my point, you know, that this is exactly what I would hope that people who didn't know anything about Dokken or hadn't dug into them or just assume that they were just like every other eighties, you know, hair metal band out there that even if it's not your cup of tea, you can see, you can see some of the depth here that maybe doesn't exist in some of the bands that they get thrown in with all the time or, or, you know, that differentiates sure. them a little bit. And so, yeah, this is a great song and, um, you know, 
arguably my favorite song on the album. Huh. Yeah, I would not have picked this as your favorite. Uh so I'm I'm surprised but pleasantly so. <laughs> yeah, this one I would say this one and Lightning Strikes Again are probably you know, right there. Right, which are my two favorites on the album. That's crazy. Um That is crazy. Yeah. Okay, so uh, so let's close it out then with track 10 Till the Living End. living with an apostrophe <laughs> yes of course if you didn't know if you didn't uh until just t-i-l you know um so this is one that unfortunately i think suffers from the fact that it is the second side closer not as good of a song as lightning strikes again so i think that's where people are like well it's not it's not as good but i think another high tempo um you know to me feels very 80s metal song you've got your shouted chorus it's it is it's a good song it's just not as deep as uh will the sunrise so maybe it would have been better if they flipped them yeah and you sort of ended on a more contemplative note with you know uh will the sunrise but i do i think till love and end is a is a very solid song um it's just hard to hold that up next to lightning strikes again and think like is this it, they're just not in the same league. Right. Of the two, this is definitely the inferior song. I mean, it's got energy, you know, but it is the only definitely. It is the only other track on the album with that same kind of energy as Lightning Strikes Again. So it's inevitably going to be compared to it. And you're right, it does come up wanting. Um, that said, this is one of the better tracks on the album. For me, this is another Agreed. one that I'd put it in, you know, the top half of the album. Um But yeah, I think Will the Sunrise would have been a better finale. I think it, de- it depends what you want from the finale like we often talk about you know a good finale is one that makes you want to go back to the start and start again and actually this probably does that better than will the sunrise would have done um because it is that high energy thing and it's got a really rocking finale the the very end of this track is you know very uh, feels almost like they're playing live you know it feels like the end to a to a gig or something it's a thank you good night exactly yeah drive safely on the way home so right exactly it it probably is more effective in terms of getting you to go back and start the album again but will the sunrise just feels more like an ending to me uh this maybe feels almost like an epilogue yep if that makes sense so but it is you know it's not a bad track as i say definitely one of the better tracks on the album but you're right it, it comes up poorly when you compare it directly against lightning strikes again which is a shame. Maybe they should have swapped them. Yeah. 
I think uh, uh, it's always fun to think about how we would have ordered those songs, right? If we were putting the album together ourselves. Um, yeah, imagine if Lightning really, Strikes Again was the last track on the album. That would that would be an odd one to finish on, actually. Because <laughs> it's to me, so like, high as energy. I, as I look back at the album, the only song I'd really toss off this album is Slipping Away. Yeah. Which to me, you know, overall, yes, some songs are better than others, obviously, but I feel like nine out of the ten songs in this album are good Dawkins songs. And to me, also show a diversity of what the band can do in tempo, in melody, in song structure, like all of those things. And so I think it's an interesting album to discuss. And maybe because of that diversity, my favorite Dokken album. Right, you're right. Well, you know, as we've said, the same reason why we chose St. Anger to talk about on our first episode with Metallica, because, you know, just such an interesting album to talk about. Um, Yeah, I mean, I, again, as somebody who had no real knowledge of Dokken before, I found this album interesting. Again, not really my cup of tea. There's only a couple of tracks that I would sort of carry on listening to, but... It was higher quality than I expected. Uh, just down to the, as I said, the quality of the songwriting was, yeah, better than I expected because a lot of the music from that era, frankly, you know, is just not that. It feels like there isn't much thought put into the song composition. Whereas, well, and I- the, you know, I wouldn't say that about this. This one, it feels like even the poorer songs that I'm not as keen on, it does at least feel like they've sat down and thought about them and written them, you know, with uh, some smarts. The other thing I would say about, uh, just to go back to Will the Sunrise, is that it's it's really lyrically the song that breaks the usual Dokken mold. And I think overall, Dokken's lyrics are uh, a little bit more mature than 90% of the 80s bands of that time, because the, the other ones were very much sex you know, drugs and rock and roll. And a lot of those lyrics from back in the day, not only don't hold up, but are just absolutely like cringeworthy nowadays, as we've seen in a couple of albums yeah, that yeah. we've done so far. Dokken has very familiar themes in almost every song. It's either about trying to find love or it's about trying to recover from lost love or trying to get over an ex or so there's, well, it's, it's about it, love to, rather than sex. Exactly. But almost every song, but even songs on this album are about one night stands and stuff like that, but they're, they're in a more mature uh, conversation as opposed to a lot of the other stuff that's sort of out there. But if there's one thing I would hit Don Dokken for his lyrics on is that, that that theme is literally almost every Dokken song, right? It's uh, that, that's what most of their stuff is, but will the sunrise different? Right, it's a you know, story. You, you could, song. yeah, yeah. And you you could make a connection maybe to someone talking about losing a relationship, but but also I think the video for this was more of like a a uh, a sort of post apocalyptic thing, and was more about sort of uh, the uncertainty of the future and that kind of stuff. I want to see the Anthony Johnston mix of this for the next Wasteland soundtrack. <laughs> well, but the lyrics, and I don't have them in front of me, but from what I remember looking at, the lyrics of this appear to be about uh, people joining the Navy and going off to like... Yes, like going off to war. Yeah, going yeah. off to war, fighting the Spanish Armada or whatever. Um, and yeah, as you say, you know, there could well be, you could take a double meaning that it could be about other things. But... Just the fact that even on the surface, it's not about lost, lost romance or doomed 100%. love or whatever. Yeah, it makes it stand out. Um, yep. And I do love a good storytelling song, it must be said. Me too. All right, so that was Dokken's Under Lock and Key. Wow. 
Sadly, a band that I never got to see live, and to this day, it pains me. I mean, Don tours nowadays with his version of Dokken, and of course, um, you know, George Lynch has a million right, different projects going same, on right now, yeah. but it isn't the same. And so it's, uh, it's a bummer that I never got to see them back in the day when his voice was still in top form. And, uh, you know, but I do, I do visit their albums quite frequently. Yeah. It's like my, uh, I've told you, you know, the only time I saw Halloween live was after Kiska, Michael Kiska had left the band. Uh, and that's my great regret is that I never saw them with Kiska in their prime, um, which I would have absolutely loved. And, uh, fortunately, and then, you know, they're yeah. all, they're all, all of those people are still performing, but in different projects and different bands and with different singers and yeah, you know. Well, and they did perform together on that uh, Pumpkins United tour, and uh, they did. I, I must. I. I didn't. I was so tempted to do that, but it was just impractical, incredibly expensive yeah. for what it was, uh, badly timed, blah blah blah. And also, let's be honest, you know, nearly forty years on, mm, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but I will say this, dude. I. It's funny because I was just talking about the show because Matt and I were the, where we went to see the Dio show was at the same place that we saw the Halloween show. Oh, right. And um, boy, was that a hell of a show! That Halloween show, man. I mean, I've never seen that place so packed for a show. It was crazy because it it was not the crowd at the Dio show was not overwhelmingly great, um, as you might imagine. But the but the Halloween show that place was packed top to bottom and it was an amazing show yeah well i, I mean i'm sure a lot of that is just down to is the whole it's a scarcity thing isn't it it's uh, absolutely dude you know, it was like everybody realized this was their ch- one chance to see all the singers of halloween yeah, you, like, you and, will, and this one, chance will never come again <laughs> nope and they played for like oh, freaking hours so it was just amazing <laughs> but yeah all right and so uh before we get on to the homework and next uh uh, shows music. Let me remind you, like I say, I'm going to put after shortly after this episode goes live, I am going to put the, um, listener poll for the next encore episode, which will be the episode after next. So we've got this one. We'll do my pick next time. And then the episode after that will be the encore show. So go and, uh, put your nomination in that poll. If you are a patron, um, as always, thank you everyone for listening. And remember, if you enjoy the show, do spread the word. Hey, help us get more patrons. Why not? There you go. Um, raise us on iTunes and Apple Podcasts and Google Play Podcasts and wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and the Patreon address, of course, is patreon.com slash thrash it out. To get in touch, you can go to thrash it out podcast.com, which has links to uh, uh, the email for the show and my and Brian's Twitter accounts. And of course, you can join the Facebook group at facebook.com slash groups slash thrash it out so homework and i only have two choices left for this volume holy moly yeah um i went i have gone back and forth on these last couple of albums so much so much because as i've told you i have i do have a kind of secret theme which i'll reveal in the last show um but there are many albums that fit this theme and oh man it's back and forth back and forth but i finally uh rolled the dice as it were uh and decided and we are going to do ministries album psalm 69 whoa now i am very excited that is awesome yeah now i assume you are familiar with this album absolutely right. yes yeah. i cannot yeah. wait but i will tell you this probably haven't listened to it in 10 years oh right okay okay 
That'll be interesting. So fresh ears. It'll be fresh ears going back. But I had a roommate in college who played ministry 24-7. Right. um, Which is where I really got introduced to the band uh, altogether because I really in had no frame of reference for them until I had that roommate who was super into them. I was much the same, actually. I basically got introduced to them by a friend who was much more into them than me. Um, so, yeah, we will talk about that next time. But, yeah, so Ministry's album, Psalm 69, uh, from 1991, I think, or 1990s, very early. Yep, that makes sense because I was in college. This would have probably been about 93 that I really got introduced to them. Um, 1992. When I had this. 92, that's when sorry, the album came out, yeah, right? yeah. Yep. So 1992-93 would have made sense because I was like, yep, that that is, this is where I first heard that album. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, yeah, going to be uh, interesting to, I haven't listened to it, I mean, I, I have it and I do listen to it occasionally, but I haven't listened to it all the way through with a sort of analytical ear for some years myself. Um, but it absolutely fits my secret theme and it is a kind of album that we haven't covered much on the show. So I thought it would be, you know, an interesting one to, to talk about. Yeah. Just one fix is the song that I remember clear as day. That was the big hit. Yeah. I mean, they had several hits off this album, but that was, that was the one that seemed to get played everywhere. That was their enter Sandman, if you like. Yep. Well, just a couple of years after enter Sandman, in fact. (laughs) There you go. All right. So, uh, yeah, thank you again, everyone. And we will see you here next time for, uh, ministries, Psalm 69. In the meantime, keep thrashing. Take care, everyone.